Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. And it's been, of course, a busy, busy week in technology. Microsoft uh, did fix that flawed uh, update. I'll talk about that a little later in the show. And Facebook, of course, is letting people check whether their whether their data was stolen uh-huh. because 29 million Facebook users were hacked, and you can look up to see whether you were one of the lucky 29 million. And the big <laughs> lucky. And the big story this week has been: Has China been putting spy chips into computer parts that they manufacture there? Mm-hmm. This has been a story that's been it's it's an ongoing developing story. And it's uh, denials and then accusations. I'll sort of run down. I, I think it'll, it'll develop and we'll finally figure out what the truth is. But it does show how sensitive our supply chain is and how dependent we are on the supply chain not being corrupted. Uh, this week we're going to feature the man who is behind Tumblr, which is a short-form a blogging platform. They're called Tumble Blogs. These are short-form blogs, and so TumbleBlog is what's called Tumblr. I guess we're old because neither of us have used this. It's all the young kids. It's like the young kids like All the young kids the, are doing the, it. The, the young kids like them because, you know, short-form blog, you don't have to write very much. Right. And you put in a lot of pictures. It's sort of like they like they like Snapchat, too. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's quite interesting. And so we're going to feature David Karp, the man who envisioned it and created it. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Loud and proud, baby. Loud and proud. There he is. that is it. There we go. We got an email from Hawk and Bowie. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently installed Roku on my TV set in the living room. We've been listening to your (laughs) Cut the Cord series on Tech Talk, and we decided to cut the cord, and we're using Roku. Now I want to use this TV for karaoke. And I like, and all my karaoke music is on my iPad and using on YouTube. And when I go into Roku to use the YouTube interface, it's so inconvenient I can hardly get a song to come out. Again, I got to type in one letter at a time. I'd like to actually play them on my iPad and have them show up on Roku. Is there any way I can do that? This is just so complicated for me, and I I hate to have to throw away this Roku deal because it doesn't work for my karaoke. Well, here's the easiest way to hook up karaoke videos using YouTube is to use your YouTube client on your iPhone, which, of course, you already know, because the one on Roku is very difficult to use. The good news is that Roku has built-in Chromecast capability which makes screen mirroring mirroring very easy, but you have to have an application that supports Chromecast. 
The first thing you have to do, you've got to go into your Roku device. You have to enable uh, screen mirroring, and that will, in, in a sense, turn on the Chromecast client. So you, you go, you open it up. First of all, you make certain that the Roku is connected to the same Wi-Fi network that your iPhone is on. And then you open up the Roku device, and you go to Settings, and then you click on System. Then you do a system update to make certain that your that your Roku has the latest version on there because I think this uh, Chromecast client is a, is a fairly new release. You want to make certain it's there. And then update it so you can see that Chromecast client. Then after you're done, go back to System and choose Screen Mirroring, and you enable it. You can either say you, you won't allow it, you'll allow it with selected devices, or you'll allow it with all devices. I suggest just say you'll allow it with all devices. And then... After that, Roku set up. Now you simply open up your iPhone, then open up the uh, application that you want to mirror, say YouTube, and it turns out YouTube does support Chromecast. There's, a little, that, there's that Chromecast symbol uh, in the in the upper right-hand corner there. It's like a rectangle with 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 the with the Wi-Fi symbol in one corner, and you just click on that, and then it will say if you've got more than one Roku in the house, it'll say which Roku do you want to mirror. So you're going to have to know the name of the Roku device in the in the room where you're located. Click on that device, and then immediately the screen is mirrored to the TV. You turn on YouTube, and everything's going to work perfectly. Now, this is a fairly new feature that uh, Roku has, and it's a little bit uh, buggy. So you may experience uh, there may be a lag time before the video turns on. Sometimes... It locks up when you're on an iPad. This is a problem that they've had. So simply close it down and then set it up again to, to get it going. And other than that, I think this is going to be your solution to play karaoke using your iPad on the device that has Roku. So good luck with that. And yes. let, let me know if that works or doesn't work. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, gentlemen. So disappointed. She obviously isn't a big listener because she's calling us gentlemen. <laughs> yes, I know she doesn't. She doesn't know us that well. No, but uh, she, so so disappointed. Last week's show, you teased a reference that talked about the latest window update that deletes some files, but time ran out and you never got back to the topic. Please don't forget to tell us the rest of the story next time. Thanks for Tech Talk, Susan in Alexandria. Well, Susan, uh, I, like, I was going to cover that in the show today, but since it's going to be in a letter, I'll just, I'll just you know, give you an update on that. Well, it is true that the October 10th update had a serious problem, that some files were actually just totally deleted. And there was one photographer, I, I was reading some blogs, he had 1,500 photographs in this one subdirectory, that got completely deleted, and he was livid mm -hmm. over that. So here is the and so what it here as soon as that problem be, was became known to Microsoft, they halted the delivery of that update, and then they fixed it, and then they reissued the uh, reissued the update, and it doesn't have this problem of deleting files. Now the the problem with deleting files, it only happened in certain cases. And it's, it's a problem with what they call known folder redirection feature. You know, for instance, your your download, if you want to download things, it goes to a particular subdirectory, which is like users slash name slash downloads. And sometimes people don't want to have that big, long name there. So they just change it. They, they want to say download to another drive slash downloads. And so you want to redirect a known folder, which is a known 
like system folder to another location. And, and they had a feature there, and they allowed you to do that. And then what happened, though, there was a slight bug in the feature that <clears throat> it would create an extra copy of the uh, of the of the of the uh, of the of the subdirectory that you were leaving, you know, the, the, the old, the old known subdirectory would, it would just make another copy of it. And, and that would be empty. It would have nothing in it. And so, so windows went, so Microsoft went and they created a feature that would just delete that extra copy. But when they created that feature, they forgot to check whether the subdirectory was empty because the flawed folder would have no files in it because it was just created by mistake. So then they just deleted folders without checking if there were any files. And for instance, this this one guy had apparent this one photographer apparently had used the known folder redirection, but he left a lot of photos in the old folder and kept using it. And they just came in and just deleted that folder without wow. checking whether there were any fi- files. So that was actually a big mistake. But now it's fixed. And uh, and if you never use the the that known folder redirection feature, then you wouldn't have any anything done. But Microsoft has fixed it and. Thanks for listening, Susan. And, uh, you know, by the way, I, I did send an email to Susan because she was worried whether she should be blocking all of her updates with Microsoft. So I sent her an email and gave her the, gave her the word uh, right away so she wouldn't have to wait for yes. the next show. Okay. We got an email from Lavona in Dumfries. Dear Doc and Jim, I am paranoid with all these smart home devices. Are they listening to my every word and collecting data 24-7? I feel like I'm putting a spy in my house voluntarily. What are your thoughts about this, Lavona and Dumfries? Well, actually, you know, it's good to be a little bit paranoid, uh, you know, putting all of these devices in your house, because there are so many stories that you've read. Remember the NSA hack that actually gave you the code so you could turn on the speaker in, in someone's smart TV and listen to what was going on? Mm-hmm. And actually, they they were doing that quite quite easily and listening in people's living rooms through their smart TV. So, in fact, devices can be hacked, and you and you might have somebody, you know, trying to spy on you. On the other hand, uh, you know, that's a pretty small worry that somebody's going to be hacking your TV set to listen in on you. Um, most of the smart home devices are connected to the Internet to function properly, and they have to communicate with a central server. So anytime that... Anytime that you talk to Alexa, Siri, or Google Assistant, uh, it takes your voice, re- sends it to a central server where they do voice recognition, then it looks up the answer, sends it back, and then you hear the answer. So it's all done remotely. And in fact, these companies do store the questions and the voices the questions and the comments that you make through that they store all of that on their on their main, on their main server so they know what kind of questions you're asking they do keep track of that now on the other hand even though these devices are always listening they're only listening for the keyword like you know like google or like alexa or siri they're ah. they're, they're listening for like the wake up word so that's all those and they're not really listening into what you're doing but um so they're not actually recording you 24/7, but you would be worried about somebody hacking the device. Now, or say Nest cams, you know, you, you've got these webcams in the house. Say the Nest cam, it records information from the house and it stores it on Nest servers. They're, they're encrypted, so you can view, so they can, you know, so other people can't view your recordings. 
So they're really not spying on you, but this is what I would suggest. I would suggest if you've got these smart home devices, get them from reputable companies who do not want to have their reputation destroyed because of hacks. This would be, you know, Google, Apple, um, Amazon are all reputable companies. They want to develop firmware and software that is that is secure and is not easily hacked. I would not get a device that's made by some knockoff Chinese company because there have been a lot of problems with these Chinese knockoffs where they really don't worry about security because they, they don't have they, they're, they're like a no-name company so they don't worry about a reputation. So I would get your devices from a reputable company and um, and unless you're doing some sort of nuclear, Secrets there at your house. I don't think you've got. I don't think you've got anything really to worry about, actually. But uh, but it's good. Yeah, it, it's good to be. Yeah, and I will also put put passwords on everything. I mean, yeah. I've been. I've heard cases where people set up baby cams. They they didn't they didn't even put, didn't, didn't even put passwords on them. And people could go in there and see the what was going on in the baby room. So make certain you got good strong passwords on everything, and I think you'll be okay. We got an email from Philip in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim. I'd like to delete my Facebook account. However, I've stored so many pictures there. Is there any way I can download all my pictures easily and quickly from my Facebook account? After that, how do I delete the account? Love the show, Philip in Pittsburgh. Well, this is what a lot of people do. They use Facebook to store pictures. You know, they upload it to Facebook and they figure, okay, there's my there's my picture, and then they they might lose the original picture, and that's and they use Facebook as their primary picture storage mechanism which is really a bad practice. You shouldn't actually do that. But the good news is you can download all your Facebook information, including your pictures. What you want to do, you go to settings, and then, uh, you know, you go you, you the drop-down menu from that little uh, carrot on the right side, the drop-down menu, go down to the bottom, click on settings, and then click on your Facebook information in the upper left-hand corner. And then from that screen... You can you can basically back up your data. There's a link there that says back up your data. There's also a link that says delete your account. But you want to back up your data first, and uh, and you can download all your data at once, or you can select which ones. It gives you all list. It gives you a list of all the different things you've got: all your messages, all your friends, all your invitations that you turned down, invitations that you accepted, invitations that you sent that were turned down. You know, you've got all of those things. You, you can decide what you want to save. And then, and then you and then you decide whether you want to have it in HTML format, which is probably so you can easily, easily look at it. So the pages in an HTML format will link to everything. That's probably the best way. But if you if you if you want to import it into another device, you can, you also have the choice of of doing the JSON format, JSON. That stands for JavaScript Object Notation, and that's a lightweight data interchange format. So if you're gonna if you're gonna import it into another into another application. But I think in your case, you just select HTML. And you also want to select high media quality. You don't want to download low resolution of your picture. You want the highest resolution of your pictures that you've got in your videos. Then you basically click download. They'll, they'll ask you to put in your password. And then it will create a file which has an attachment which is zipped, which is compressed in a zip format. And it'll take, it takes an hour. Depending on how big your Facebook account, it could take, could take 10 minutes, could take two hours. And they'll notify you when your file is ready to be picked up. And then you can go back and then go back into the same screen. Your file will be ready, and then you can download it to your, 
to your computer, and it's, it's zipped, and so you can open up with any, a lot of free programs that will unzip a file, and you'll have all your photos in one subdirectory. Once you're sure you've got all your photos there, then you can go back and delete it. So you go back to the same Facebook settings location, your Facebook information, and then you click on Delete Your Account. You enter a password, there's a little CAPTCHA, and then you're done. Now, there's a 14-day cooling-off period. So if you log into your Facebook account in that 14-day period, the deletion's canceled. So you want to stay out of your account for 14 days, and then the deletion will go through after two weeks. And then it takes about 90 days for them to remove all the data from their servers, but they eventually get it done. So actually, Facebook's done a pretty good job of helping you manage your data. We got an email from Dennis in Maryland. Dear Tech Talk, I don't like to be tracked while I'm on the Internet. Can I hide my IP address while surfing the web? Dennis in Maryland. Well, Dennis, it's quite easy to hide your IP address. Your IP address, that's Internet protocol address. That's your public ID address when you're on the Internet. And any traffic that's sent to you goes to that public address. You have to have a public address or they don't know how to get the information back to you. Now, many sites log those those addresses, and they and they use that to to you know to spy on you. They deliver personalized ads. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff they do with a lot of reasons that you may not want them to know uh, where your IP address is. I mean, people that are doing illegal things on the internet like to hide their IP address, but I don't think that's what you're up to. People may want to hide their IP address if they're in a different geographic region, like when I want to watch get into my Netflix account and I'm in India, I can't do it because it's out of the geographic region. But if I log in with a VPN, I can use, it looks like I'm in New York City, and then I can, I can use <laughs> Netflix when I'm in India. And I, I mean, I'm not really breaking the rule because it's my account, but uh, I, have to, I have to override their geographic restrictions. And so also blocking your IP tree address is good in certain countries which try to censor stuff like in China or the Middle East. You might want to block your IP address when you're on the web so they can't track you down. So the best way to hide your IP address is to use a VPN, a virtual private network, and that's an, that, that's an encrypted data stream that goes to a proxy server. And then the proxy server makes all the requests on your behalf. And so the websites see the IP address of the proxy server. Then the proxy server gets the information and sends it back to you. Then nobody knows your IP address. They only know the IP address of the proxy server. And, they, and there's also the, uh, the Onion Router, Tor, which goes through a cascade of proxy servers to make it very, very difficult to, to get at your IP address. Tor is if you really want to be anonymous, um, that you would use that, but it's slow. And chances are you could just get a good, a good VPN. Now, I would get a paid VPN. Don't get a free one because the, you never know. The free ones try to sell your data. They make money somehow. Now, I like ExpressVPN because it's really fast, and it's, really, it's great for watching movies, and it's, got, it's very responsive. It's got great reviews, and also NordVPN has gotten great reviews. So I'd, I'd either got ExpressVPN or NordVPN, and they run around $100 a year for multiple devices. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can, and certainly at the next show. Certainly, you're Saturday morning and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal <laughs> News Network. Heard now on federalnewsnetwork.com, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. And you can watch us do the show again today. We're back up on Periscope in our usual place. Download the Periscope app to your device. It actually works on some devices, <laughs> not my old iPad. Uh, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk and you watch us do the show live. We'll be back with more in just a minute. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... IT. Yes, today we're going to feature David Karp. He is best known as founder and CEO of the blogging platform Tumblr. He was born in New York City, July 6, 1986. He grew up in Upper West Side, Manhattan. He attended the Calhoun School from three year, age three to eighth grade, where his mom taught, actually. She taught science. At age 11, he began learning HTML, and he was soon developing websites wow. for businesses. Then he went to high school, and he attended Bronx Science uh, school for one year and then he dropped out at the age of 15 and he started homeschooling now this was his story he's he told his mom he says you know mom i've been checking all of these uh you know these mit and yale and these prestigious elite schools and the acceptance rate for homeschooled children is a higher acceptance rate than for just students that go through regular school so I think I can get into MIT if I'm homeschooled. So his mom bought this. So he dropped out of school. And then he um, and he never actually finished high school. <laughs> he, he never he didn't earn his high school diploma. And because you know why? There, because he was so smart, he was probably unchallenged. Right? Isn't uh, that normally how it yeah, works? Uh-huh. So that, that's right. And so at age 14, his mom introduced him to... Uh, to a guy who 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 was who was founder of Federation Studios, they did animation at 14, and so he he went there and he and he, this was Fred Siebert and he he worked with Fred Siebert and uh, at animation he, he started tinkering around with there, and um and and he did some work for them and and this Fred Siebert said you know you're pretty good at this tech stuff then an entrepreneur John Maloney came by and he sought some some sought some technical help on on Urban Baby. And um, and uh, one of the Federator employees recommended Carp for the job. And so it was like a two-day job, and Carp finished it in about four hours. So Maloney offered 
offered him to be head of product development for Urban Baby. This one, he was 14. Wow. And he gave him some equity in the company. Wow. Now, Carp left Urban Baby at, in 2006 when it was sold to CNET, and he made he made a little bit of money on that deal because he had equity. So you can see this whole school thing was was beginning to fade away. So then, using the money from the sale of his shares, he started his own software consultancy. This is what he called His name is David Carp. He called this Davidville. <laughs> Davidville. Smart and, and funny. That's right. And he envisioned a mix of client work as well as making his own products. And then he, he, he wanted somebody to work with him, so he put, a, he put an ad on Craigslist, and he hired Marco Arment, who, was, who joined the company as an engineer, and he replied to the Craigslist ad. Now, Carp had always been interested in tumble logs. Now, these are short-form mixed-media blogs, and he'd wanted to do that. See, younger kids like it because you basically post, well, you, you post a picture of you sitting at a bar. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd never used Tumblr. I went and I looked at some of these tumble logs. Yeah. So there'll be some guy sitting there, you know, and he said, boy, I was wasted last last Saturday night. So it, it, it's like a one-liner. Yeah. And so you're, you've got you've got lots and lots of selfies. You've got travel pictures, pictures of food. So people will take a picture, do a video, put it on their Tumblr uh, on their on their tumble log, and they'll just write one or two lines. And so for people that don't want to do a lot of writing but they want to have their own blog, that's this is what they have these short form tumble blogs. So he wanted to he wanted the basic. So this appeals to actually younger people. This is the younger set, sort of like Snapchat is mm-hmm. the the younger group. So so he started. Uh, so he he'd always wanted to. He was waiting for one of the other blogging platforms to basically support. Tumble logs, but but nothing was coming along. So after waiting for a year for a short form blogging platform, Kark and Ament began working on their own tumble logging platform when they had a two week gap between clients. There, this was in 2006. So they they thought, well, this is kind of an interesting interesting project, and so they they launched uh, uh, Tumblr, which was their short-form tumble, which was the platform they created in February 2007. And within two weeks, they had 75,000 users without any real marketing. Now, Fred Siebert introduced them to one of his own investors, Bijan Saber of Spark Capital. And Saber, Saber was uh, he was very impressed with this Tumblr platform, and he tried to get them to launch a startup. He tried to get them to scale it up. He offered them a lot of money to try to, try to scale up, and then Carp said, look, I don't want all that money, and I don't want all that pressure. Just leave me alone. But finally, he reduced the amount of money he gave him to 750000 at a valuation of $3 million. So he So he valued the Tumblr at $3 million, gave him $750,000, which meant, you know, what was he getting, like um, – that's about twenty five. So for that, for twenty five percent interest, he bought twenty five percent interest for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, David did okay on that deal. You yeah, know? really. Right there, and so the the the, the money the, the the investment, the venture capital investment was led by Spark and also by Union Square Ventures. Carp finally uh, agreed to it, and they said, "Okay, we won't pressure you." So on October of 2007, you know, just a few months after they got this money, they shut down their consultancy to work full-time on Tumblr. They, and he decided that he should rename, I guess originally the, the it was called Davidville. So he decided, so they renamed it from, da- they renamed it from Davidville to Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Because I think Tumblr blogs, Tumblr's a better name than Davidville. 
I so, guess. I don't know. I think Tumblr's kind of weird. Yeah, and so and and he sold he sold twenty. And of course, he owned seventy five percent. He and his he and his. Uh, it doesn't really tell you what it is. No, it, well, it's a tumble. Well, if you know what a tumble log blog is, then, well, then you know what. I think that's kind of a big gift for some people. I didn't know. I had no I, idea. I didn't know that's what I it meant had, either. I had no idea. But what we're it was. two old guys, so we are. And I, did, I, I mean, I, I looked at. Well, I looked up the 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 tumble logs on physics, and I mean, yeah. So they got all these pictures, like animations of like showing the Pythagorean theorem, and so <laughs> and so the thing is, I mean, I mean, you 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 can't really. You, you you can't really you know you can't write these long things and so I no. said I said how how could and so and so they'll like have pictures of the Large Hadron Collider they'll show pictures of black holes so it's like it's like uh, it, it's like physics animation but but there's n- nothing in depth there I don't think there's ever been those two words uttered on radio recently Pythagorean yeah. theorem no but no <laughs> no it, it it doesn't it, it doesn't come up very often no, on, it doesn't. On, the, on the federal Except news here. On, on the federal news network on it the nev- federal news network <laughs> it never yes. comes up on the federal news no, network no never so when I I tell you, I was not too interested in all these things because it is, uh, you know, it, it, it does show the interest of what young kids have, what they're interested in. It, it the, I'd say the 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 Tumblr logs are pretty good as as for travel because a lot of people would travel and they'd post all their travel pictures. Those those were kind of interesting. Okay, so anyway, he started working on this thing and and he wanted to keep small. He wanted to have four employees. Now these, but now the VCs began to put pressure on him. They said, look. Uh, we put $750,000 in this thing, and you've got to scale this thing. Otherwise, we're not going to get back our money. And so that meant he'd have to hire more people. And he did not want to grow. He And he didn't want to invest in, like, engineers. You know, he didn't want to invest in server infrastructure. He just wanted to keep it small. Well, their, when their user base finally grew to seven figures, I mean, that's like, um, you know, that's like a lot of people, over 100,000. And... Then all of a sudden it started getting slower, started having stability issues, and finally, finally, when it began to fail because of it couldn't handle the load, he hired an engineering team. And David did agree that the VCs were right. He did would have to scale and hire people to grow. Now, and they continued to grow by uh, on May of 2013. This is now he started in 2007. Is when he is when he first oh yeah launched in February 2007, in May of 2013. That six years later, Yahoo bought Tumblr for 1.1 billion dollars. Wow, think about That's, that. Yeah, 1.1 billion dollars, six years. Mm. And you know, David, Dave said, "Mom, you know, forget this whole college deal. Well, actually, forget high school. Forget everything. <laughs> I'm buying an island somewhere." He's, he's a high school dropout, and he, he and he's not a college dropout because he never went to college. Right. He never, you know, and so he, he stayed on a CEO there. Uh, in uh, November of 2017, Tumblr uh, number of tum- number of blogs hosted on Tumblr was 375 million blogs. Jeez. You know, I I was looking through. They, there's a, there's a blog for everything. I'd, I I I had to explore. You know, I had to do explore yes, around. Yes, homework. Of, uh, in, in, of I course. I had to do homework on this thing, and and I you know I I really didn't find many of the blogs that were that interesting to me, but uh, <laughs> but course. I think except I'm, for the one about the Pythagorean theorem. The Pythagorean theorem, and that that I I looked well I you know, and there aren't many blogs on physics. I have to say. No. 
Uh, he stayed with them until November of 2017, and he said he'd be leaving because he just didn't like all that corporate stuff. And I don't <laughs> think I don't think David is now really going to go back to school. It was really interesting. I saw some videos of him. He he's he really looks young, and he tried to keep his tried to keep a secret how young he was when he started Tumblr because people would make a big deal out of the fact that he was so young. But there you go. Everything you'd want to know about David Carp, the founder and CEO of Tumblr. Interesting stuff. Hope you're paying attention because you can turn that into free lunch. Stand by. The te- the uh, t- pop quiz is coming up here next on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on the Federal News Network, which is at federalnewsnetwork.com, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that's okay, please. <laughs> they're really out of control oh, today. they're out of control. They want free lunch. They that's are, what they want. That's right. They're, 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 uh, they're, they're making pictures for their Tumblr, for their Tumble log. Of course Tumble they are. Blog. That's what mm-hmm. they're doing here. Earlier in the show, this, of course, is not simply a radio show. No. This is a classroom of the airways, yes. and we have to assess whether the class has been listening. Mm-hmm. We, do, we do that with a pop quiz. And What's that? Oh, the, whether quiz, they were listening. Okay. Whether they were listening. We do it with a pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A for this classroom session. Plus, you'll get some tickets to fine dining at one of our restaurants in around the area. The A is more important to me. Uh, I think the A, yeah. It could be, mm-hmm. It's actually an A+. Plus, an A+. Plus. An A+. Plus. Okay. So early in the show, I talked about David Karp, best known as founder and CEO of the blogging platform Tumblr. What was the original name of his company that he had before Tumblr? 
If you know the answer to today's question, well, aren't you the smart one? So why don't you pick up your phone and give us a call? If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling us on your rotary dial phone from Canada, it's 877-936-9333. And of course, the unreliable international line, 877-9-3639-333 flowers. Oh, that would be your cue. Well, you yes, may start indeed. talking again. And then, of course, if you'd like to reach us, use a special technique. Yes. You can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. There you go. So the question is, was your Facebook data stolen? Was Do- it? You remember, hackers stole the personal data from 25 million Facebook users on a recent hack. It included information like phone numbers, email addresses, gender, hometown, even relationship data. Now, there's an easy way to check if your data was stolen. And I actually, I just checked this weekend, and I found out that mine was not stolen. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm one of the lucky ones. You can go to the Help Center page on Facebook's website, and log into your account. What you want to do, log into your account and then go to this particular Help Center webpage. It would be facebook.com slash help slash security notices. And down at the bottom, it will tell you whether you were one of the lucky ones whose uh, data was stolen. And um, and then they'll give you some advice, like, for instance, change your password, log out of your, log out of your account, change your password, maybe set up two-factor authentication. They'll tell you what to do. Now, the good news is no payment, uh, credit card or payment information was taken. It's just basically personal data mm-hmm. that could be used for identity theft. That is the real danger. Now, okay, wait a minute. Oh, we got we got something. Okay. Got somebody who'd like to play our game. Let's go to the International Line is working today. Oh, this is uh, Colton who's calling us from Middleburg, Virginia, which, of course, is an international call. Yes, international. Exactly. Yes. Colton, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good, well, very thanks. Good. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead and ask Early, the question. Earlier Doc. in the show, we talked about David Carp, founder and CEO of Tumblr. What was the original name of his company before he called it Tumblr? It was Digital. That is correct. That is correct, Colton. Excellent job. Yeah. Hang on, sir. We're going to get your information and send you the uh, the tickets for free lunch. Yeah. It is Saturday morning, <laughs> and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is this is Federal News Radio. 15, I'm sorry, I messed that up because we're now Federal News Network, and we're heard at uh, federalnewsnetwork.com. Also, you can listen to us on your traditional analog radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2. That's not analog. You need a special radio for that. And 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program live every Saturday morning at 9 by downloading the um, Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let me talk about this big Chinese spy ship, spy, spy chip controversy. Okay. Uh, Bloomberg, uh, uh, about uh, a couple of weeks ago, Bloomberg came out with an article where they said that uh, many of the computer motherboards had secretly placed chips on them that were sending information back to the Chinese spy agency and that these computer motherboards and that these computer devices had been put, had been distributed in data centers all throughout the U.S. That was sort of the the big push, and uh, it involved Amazon, it involved Apple, and it involved uh, Super Macro, which is one of the big computer suppliers. Everybody denied it. Everybody denied it. I, I Actually, it was a sort of a developing story last week, I, so I didn't cover it because I wasn't really sure what was true, wasn't, what wasn't true. Apple denied it. Amazon denied it. The Homeland Security denied it. But Bloomberg is standing by this story. So then they had a new story that came out this week, and this time they named one of the sources. And so, uh, and and what they and what they did is that they they basically named the source. And this and this guy is Yossi Appleboom, Yossi Appleboom, and they, and he said he was hired by several large data centers that that had used super micro uh, components. And that were operated by an unnamed telecom. Applebaum claims he found evidence of microchips that were implanted in the company's motherboards. These were surveillance devices that were meant to intercept data and spy on America's biggest tech companies. The malicious hardware, he said, was discovered in August, according to various forms of documentation that Applebaum supplied Bloomberg. Now, the unusual communications from the super micro server and a subsequent physical inspection revealed an implant to be in the server's Ethernet connector, a component that's used to attach the network to the computer, Applebloom said. Now, DHS is still denying the story, and so is, um, so is Amazon, so is Apple, so is Supermicro. They're all denying it, but there is sufficient evidence here that something is going on. So maybe they're denying the specific instance of this particular chip, but they didn't deny the fact that chips could be there. And I think this in, this shows a serious problem that we have with our supply chain that we really should be mindful of. 
China makes 75% of the world's mobile phones. China makes 90% of all PCs. Mm-hmm. Now, this microchip is like smaller than a than a than a piece of than a than a piece of rice, and it's it's very hard to see, and uh, and so if those are infecting the supply chain in the U.S. and they and these kind of devices get into get into computers and companies, they could they could be done for surveillance. So. You know, there have been there there's been discussing about this. Uh, DHS said they were aware of the report, and DHS said they've recently launched several government industry initiatives to develop near and long term solutions to manage this risk. Furthermore, cybersecurity experts have warned that if that such a threat does exist, they've warned it for years, and that it is very difficult to detect these chips once they're in there. Mm-hmm. So this is a serious problem. I don't know whether this particular story is true because you've got, you know, claims and then counterclaims. You can't tell the truth. But I do think one thing is clear about this, that our supply chain is vulnerable and critical computers are made in China. And if we don't absolutely control that supply chain, uh, we've got a problem. Yep. So I think that is a real issue and I, I think it's worth exploring that uh, further. And as we get more information on this thing, because I don't know what the truth is quite yet, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll let you know about it. Okay. Deep fakes are being weaponized to silence women. This is actually, I mean, it's, this is really not funny. They're, they're, they're using AI. What it is, they're, 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 they'll take, say, uh, a... a, a some uh, X-rated porn movie, right. and they'll use AI to put somebody else's face on it, mm-hmm. and the and the AI image processing to to put the face on this in this particular thing is so good that it's hard to tell that it's a fake. And That's so not they, good. and so they they started doing that. that, that, that some of these de- and they call them deep fakes because they're using deep learning in order to do these things. So these deep fakes, they started doing it on. Uh, with uh, you know like celebrities because it was it was a lot of work and then all of a sudden celebrity will have some porn movie out and they have to say that wasn't me mm-hmm. so it started out there but now there are some tools that have been released that uh, that make it very easy to do even for an amateur to do it and now people are using it as revenge against against uh, you know against young women and this is becoming a bigger and bigger problem I mean one woman. She's fighting it, Noel Martin, and she had some deep fake pornography pl- placed with her about six years ago. And anytime you search for her name, her name comes up. So she said it's hard for her to get a job. Wow! Because people can't tell. This is a serious problem. So she actually did a TED talk. She's on a campaign to try to find a way to eradicate the internet with these deep fakes. This is a continuing and expanding problem. Hey, you know what? Yes. While you're figuring that out, let's take a little break here. Okay. All right. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio. Uh, I'm going to get this right yet. It's yes. Federal News Network. FederalNewsNetwork.com. Yes. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. We have our Periscope bug figured out. So you can watch us do the show again by following us at WFED Tech Talk <clears throat> on your device. Uh, first, you have to, of course, download the Tech Talk app. We'll see you in just a minute. Be right back here on Tech Talk Radio. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. The Mirai botnet creators have been praised by the FBI's and they will not and they, and they will not be serving any prison time why is that now three men well let me explain this this okay. is interesting three men pleaded guilty for creating and operating the Mirai and click fraud botnets and then they cooperated with the FBI Mirai if you remember it degraded it completely took down Twitter it took down GitHub it took down PlayStation network and hundreds of other sites that were targeted by the DIN service DYN service which is a service that provides domain name services to the effective sites. They just took them around right away. The prosecutor announced that the men had provided extensive and exceptional assistance to law enforcement officers. A federal judge then sentenced each of them to five years on probation. The three men, Paraz Ja, 22, of New Jersey, Josiah White, and Dalton Norman, uh, will continue to cooperate with the FBI. The, po- the prosecutors referenced their assistance with the 2017 federal takeover, the Kelhihos Botnet. Kelhihos Botnet. Kelhihos Botnet. <laughs> I'm just going to let you swing out there. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. I'm and here it, to help. This was, this actually, I think you're right. I think Kelhihos. I think Kelhihos. It, it actually, they, they also helped stop an, you know, a number of online fraud attempts. They prevented further distributed denial of service attacks, which the botnet was doing, and they helped mitigate the attack by leveraging a weakness in some of the services used by this particular uh, botnet system. They assisted researchers in investigating an attack that had been carried on by a possible state actor. These guys were really pretty good, Mm -hmm. and they actually did stuff the FBI couldn't figure out how to do, and they kept helping them. Now, it... Jaw, J-H-A, admitted to being behind the Mirai network, according to court documents that were unsealed last year. Now, he was a computer science student at Rutgers University when he did this, and he was just going to class, having fun, <laughs> and they tracked him down at Rutgers. Uh-huh. And so, and so he would have been actually been in many years in prison, uh, but he decided to cooperate with federal authorities, and the men... 
the FBI marveled at how these guys could be so notorious in an online community, yet at the same time be so socially immature young men living with their parents in relative obscurity. Yet on the Internet, they were like lions in this community. Oh, that's crazy. So that was kind of fun. So, so I wonder if now they will go clean or if they're going to find some other nefarious activity to listen, get involved in. these guys are going to get a great job. These, are, these guys are so no, no, notorious that, and they have already flipped the help of the FBI. These guys, their employment is guaranteed. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, they, he, he doesn't need to graduate from Rutgers. He, is, he can just he keep is, on going. He, he, he's going to make plenty of money. Thank just, his lucky stars. Just being the good guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, don't give up. Don't give apps access to your email, even to save a little bit of money. You know how you'll, you'll like you go into something, they'll say, "Oh, use your Gmail account to create an account, or use your Facebook account," and people will do that because they, they don't have to put in another password. They just mm-hmm. they, they just it just links to their Facebook account. Well, what you're doing when you when you just log in using a Gmail account or a Facebook account, you're actually giving them the password to that account, so they have access to all your emails. They have access to all your Facebook. So you know what they do? They use that information to find out more stuff about you. So, okay. And then they sell it. And then they sell it. So I just, when I was trying to figure out what I did wrong with Periscope, uh-huh. I used Twitter to sign in to Periscope. Yeah. Is that, the, is that the, what you're talking about? So Periscope now has your Twitter account password, and they, and they, and they can then look at everything you're doing there. Yeah. Lovely. So, so I always, you have a choice of logging in with like, Facebook or Gmail or just email. So mm-hmm. I log in with my own email account, uh, with an email, uh, you know, as user ID and email account as user ID, and then I create a new password just for that particular thing instead of cascading it. So, for instance, when Facebook, like, for instance, if those 29 million users who, who if, they, if, if, if they'd gone out to, like, 20 different sites and used Facebook to log in, then the people, when they hacked their Facebook account, could get into all the all other 20, Oh, great. You see what I mean? Yes, so everything, I see what you everything mean. It's is a cas- domino effect. Everything is cascaded mm-hmm. together. So never, even if they even if they say you'll save money if you do it, just don't do it. Create a new user account in order to do it. It's just a little bit of good security advice. Now, here's an application for facial recognition that is pretty interesting. Uh Women who are, have fertility problems frequently go to egg donors. They'll, they'll go to, they'll try to get egg donors. There, there are clinics that where you can actually, people can donate their eggs. I guess they get paid for that, and then, and then you can get a donated egg. And, and, and one of the problems you'd like to have if you're, if you are using a donated egg for a baby, you'd like the baby to sort of look like you. Right. So, so what they're doing now is they're using face recognition. And they go through all, and and many times the egg donor wants to be anonymous, so you you so you can't really look at who they are. So what they're doing, they're setting up, uh, so they take a picture of all the donors, and then they use face recognition to get the best matches they can. That's interesting. And then what they'll do is, and then they will notify the clinic that has that particular donor, and they'll say we would like this, and they'll notify. And so this 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 search is done so that the person is still anonymous. Yet, they look similar to the person who is going to have the that's baby. That's pretty cool. I think that's real, and you could do that. I think for for you know for men too. If you're if you go to a, if sperm donors, you mm-hmm. could probably do the same thing. It's that's actually that's a that's great a great idea. Really, that is. is really a good application. And then, but then you got to figure out 
you know, like uh, I don't know if they screen these donors for diseases and and defects and that's, things. Well, that's I, well, they do all that anyway. They do all of that. all of that. They do anyway. So they'll and so they 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 screen them for you know college or they college educated all these other so mm-hmm. all these other parameters. But but you, but the one parameter you like you like them look similar to you exactly. And so you've got all that other screening stuff that's done anyway. And so when they search for someone that I guess they'll put in the criteria they want and they'll only look for faces that match who who also meet all their other criteria. Mm-hmm. But that's a great application. That is a great idea, yeah. One of the best applications for face recognition. Now the Pareto principle in software design. Have you ever heard of the Pareto principle? I have not, no, but I'm about to. You've heard of the eighty twenty rule? No. You've never heard of the eighty twenty no. rule? That's like um eighty percent of your problems are caused by twenty percent of your friends. I'd never heard for instance, that. For instance, or <laughs> I mean, there, 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 there are a lot of like twenty, eighty percent of the effects come from twenty percent of the causes. That's this is this is like this is very common. And so, this, so like in software development, it turns out that you know your users tend to only use twenty percent of your features, and so eighty percent of your users are using twenty percent of your features. That's the Pareto design rule. Now this 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 name. This name was uh, was was created by Joseph Geron, and he suggested the principle. And he named that after an Italian economist, Vilfredo Pareto, <laughs> who showed that approximately eighty percent of the land in Italy was owned by twenty percent of the population. Interesting. So that was the Pareto rule. Or in software design, eighty percent of your users use twenty percent of your features. Or twenty percent of the code creates eighty percent of the errors. Okay, so that's and so this is so and this so is this interesting. is this is or for instance, if you if you had to use the twenty the Pareto rule for say cleaning the floor of say a large warehouse, it turns out that eighty percent of the traffic is going to use twenty percent of yes, the floor. Yes, agreed. So if you clean only twenty percent of the floor, you. You've cleaned you've, about 100% of the... You've, 80% of your users are going to say, yeah, this really looks good. Mm-hmm. So, if you, if you, so, you, so the 80-20 rule can come in handy. It can. Now, that's also when you're doing software development, they've got the minimal viable product. This uses a principle in action. You build something that, will, that has 20% of the features that are used by 80% of the people, and you get a minimal viable product. And then once you get that minimal viable product launched... Then you simply watch what your users do, and you add features that they want. And you try not to create features that take 80% of the work but are only used by 20% of the people. So if you you use the Pareto principle, it really simplifies your software development. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk.stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website at stratford.edu. Check out the programs there and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.